Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CXCast. This week, Jenny Wise and I are joined again by Mina Kothundaraman, the founder and principal at Twig and Fish, and our esteemed professor from Bentley University's Human Factors and Information Design Program. If you missed last week's conversation, I encourage you to check it out. We talked about Mina's background, how she got into the field of user experience and user experience research, and how she became a professor, and the five phases of research that Twig and Fish takes its clients through. Really interesting conversation, in-depth look at what a good research process looks like. This week, we're going to start off by talking about the demands on the user experience role, why we call these people unicorns, in fact, because they're almost mythical beasts. And then uh, we'll ask Mina to speculate about the future of the profession. So without further ado, let's get back to our conversation between Jenny, Mina, and me. Um, It's not a happy thing when you go to a global organization and all the UXers across the world are doing research differently. Differently meaning, obviously, there's cultural differences. I get that. Mm Mm-hmm. But differently meaning there's no one unified process that's taking everybody through. Right. That process has to be the same so that everybody speaks that same language so that stakeholders know every time I've got to talk to a researcher, we're all going to be doing it the same way. That's what we hope for with that five phases because within each, as you can imagine, there's tons of creativity you can offer. You can make it different. Mm-hmm. You can make the recruiting strategy different. You can recruit friends and family instead of an external recruiter. You can put a protocol together that's just a survey. Who knows? You can do whatever you want to. But there needs to be that overarching level of understanding. And then the schedule or the timeline has to be something we are responsible for. So the other thing I think that is really important is that we own research. We don't let somebody else own it for us. So if somebody comes and says, Sam, I need you to reword that question. I don't like the way it's worded. You're not going to let somebody do that. Because guess what? You know how to do good research. Research is not something you can just pick up on the fly. Go back to our our previous conversation on UX unicorns. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to say this. I was going to go there, but I'm glad that you're already there because this is the the perfect point. Well, and let's let's explain what you mean here. I think there's uh, you know challenge in the in the field of user experience, right? That people are looking for the person who can do everything. Yeah. Who's got ethnography chops and, you know, maybe just enough uh, design chops to put together prototypes and has conducted usability tests and has done all these methods and uh, can tell great stories and get in front of executives and communicated it out. And And do some front end coding too (laughs) while they're at it. And we've described (laughs) them as a unicorn because it's a mythical beast, right? But it is what we see on a lot of job descriptions out there and in a lot of teams. Yes. Yes. I struggle with it. So I actually mm-hmm. am going to say this on recording. I have grave struggle with it because it's like saying, you know what, Mina, you're a researcher, but you should be able to design a little bit. I'm so sorry. You don't want me designing for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I actually am, you know, I'm going to keep my language nice and clean here. I'm a terrible designer. <laughs> you don't want me designing for you. I can't design. I don't have that level of creativity in design. Yeah. But research, bring it on. I can do it for you. No worries at all. But to actually say that anybody could just pick up research, like, oh, we have, you know, developer Bob who comes in and runs our research for us every once in a while. And then you realize how much detail there is to research. And people equate research with that phase three, which is gather. They think, oh, you're going to go do research. Oh, you're just going to go ask people some questions, right? right? Mm -hmm. There's so much more than that. And if you want it to be meaningful, you can't just have anybody do this. I would take that a step further where when 
we're talking about exploratory discovery type of projects, I actually find that at least so far from the companies we've worked with, external companies, you were asking about when do you bring an external and when do you do, that is when actually sometimes it helps you to bring an external because our vision is not tainted yet. There's no color. If you're an internal researcher, you've been affected a little bit. You've drank yeah. a little bit of that Kool-Aid. Right. You're in, right? So sometimes having somebody on those type of projects is very helpful. When you're doing any type of research, though, if there's an internal research team, internal design team, product team, anybody else, they want to be along for the ride. It's part of that. You can't have everybody along with you, so manage it. Right. We're running seven session. We can have three people per session sign up. Right. Here's how we're going to do it. And yeah. it's very structured. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's very clear cut how it's happening. And then on the right hand side of the framework where we're talking about ideation and product related research, actually the design team should really be right there with you because guess what? Hmm. They're your handoff. They're seeing it through. So in my mind, it's very clear that research has a very clear cut engagement and role. Designers, really, a lot of them want to just design. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Go figure. They right. want to design and they want to soak in on the story. So if somebody else is doing all the asking, they can just hear the story. Often I go out with designers and they're sketching. They're, yeah. they're already like drawing like this, 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 that, or frameworks <laughs> of, oh, we could go this way or that way. It's fascinating to see how their brains go. And when they show it mm -hmm. to me, I'm like, whoa, don't jump to solution. But hey, hold on yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. jump to solution. Right, right, right. <laughs> but it's really great because then they get excited. And then actually the wheels actually move much better because they don't have to be burdened with asking the question. Because when you're asking the question, you can't really think. And guess what? When you ask the question and you're a designer, I'm going to say this also, your automatic slant is to start to push towards solution yes. because that's yeah. what you've got yes. to do. Yeah. yeah, That's what you've been tasked to do. And it's sort of unfair to them. I love that. I mean, I think that's a really important point too, that the wrong person asking the questions is almost more likely or inherently going to steer it down that presumptive path. Exactly. Because mm -hmm. that's the way their brain is working. Yeah. Whereas a true researcher, and, and it's human to, to skip ahead to solutions, right? Anyway, oh, so a, yeah. true, a true researcher is probably better trained to keep backing away from solutions, to keep asking those exploratory questions that we'll get at the next insight Absolutely. from that interview. No assumptions. Yeah. No, you know, biases. It's not about you. It's not about right. what I think in the middle of something. Uh, is this right or wrong? Like we've had situations where clients been with us and yes, there have been situations where clients will suddenly go, you're not using this product the right way. You know, <laughs> it's just like, oh, for God's sake. But you can't sometimes stop. Obviously those kind of things happen and you know how to come away from it. But at the end of the day, the researcher really is trying to take in everything. Mm -hmm. There's really no agenda per se that you're totally focused on. Obviously, yes, you have to facilitate the session. Yes, you have to own the time. I get all of that. But they're really trying to look at and get as much as they can to make it truly meaningful. You end up with better quality data. And then guess what? You'll end up with stakeholders who go, wow, this was great research. This is really helping us. We would have never thought about it this way. But when you sort of do a bang up slap job kind of the whole thing, and then you expect something magical to come out of it. <laughs> and then you're just like, oh, this is so expensive. Research is completely useless. <gasps> That's like dagger through my heart. I yeah. get so sad. <laughs> I don't want to cry on air. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to bring it to a happy place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I will say you just said one thing that I really liked. Also, when we think about the difference in roles, because there is a struggle between what you're trying to accomplish when you are doing user research and when you are doing design. And both are thinking about creating something that is positive yep. for the person and the other side of the experience. But from design, 
know, they're like, well, here are the limitations. Do we really need this feature? And so it helps to have user research be independent in that way so they can remain the advocate outside of the constraints that are put on the designer, you know, that yeah. are then put on the engineer, that are then put down this whole path there. But that's another sort of case for these discrete functionalities. It's not only that. So that phase one that I'd mentioned, mm -hmm. we've actually spun that off as its own work component just because people are like, we have a research team, but we don't know how to organize ourselves. Can you help us? No problem. We don't have to do the research. You guys are totally capable. But if you want us to just help organize you, no problem. And in those sessions, whenever we talk about challenges, as I was sort of mentioning to you guys informally earlier, why is it that everybody has the same challenges? And it's really unfair then because when designers speak up and they go, you know what, people are happy if we just change the colors and we change things around. And you know, you see that they're unhappy. That really bothers me. We should all love what we do. Right? Yeah. Just would, you couldn't pay me enough to do something else. It just is so exciting to learn about people. Yeah. And that's why I do what I do. But when a designer speaks like that to me, I get very bummed. And you tell them a good story and then suddenly you can hear the, the mice running in their head. Like yeah. they're mice, really, really fast running mice. Yeah. And you can hear it all and they get very excited. That's what you want your team to always be like. Like you want that high energy to be there and it has to be fair too. There's been epiphanies for me throughout this, I will assume for the audience yeah. too. There's things that's like, oh, okay. People talk about stories, but you know, the ability for then the stakeholder to go back and be the one to tell the stories. Yeah. And that, right. you know, that kind of insight yeah. is really yeah. great. It gets people excited. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. When people get to Completely. talk about what they do and that they've serviced somebody, they, you know, like a utility that we work with gets to don their super cape when something <laughs> goes wrong. And yeah. they tell these stories about, you know, oh, I helped this woman. She called in and we found out about it. And her husband, you know, has medical devices and lost power. And now everybody affectionately calls this guy that we talked to, this woman who called in to ask for help. It's like, oh, your girlfriend is calling again. And it's this like 80-year-old woman who sends him cookies every month because he helped her. <laughs> That's the kind of relationship mm -hmm. you yeah, want yeah. as a company. I know it's not going to happen with every person. But you want to have some of those relationships. You want to feel like you right. touch somebody. Otherwise, wow, that that to me that makes the world go around. I love that. Like yeah. it just gets me so jazzed. <laughs> I don't this know. is so great. I'm a bit wonky. That. You know that though. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is what we do when we sit here and every time we talk yeah. in the office, we just geek out and I'm like, but how cool is this? Or what if this happens? <laughs> yeah. So so I will just ask one quick question and then we can go into the future of the class. I spend a lot of time thinking about emerging technologies and how they change interactions with people, and also very much so from a human factors level. So when I am talking to an Alexa in the future, this might be a robot. How will I as a human feel on the other side of this interaction? What makes sense for me? That's obviously something where context will matter a lot. Absolutely. And so I keep thinking that we're going to have to employ not totally different methods, but some different methods to be able to understand that interaction. And I keep thinking of things such as body storming, mm -hmm. right, to understand this or to get before you program the software to see how someone would interact with it. And so I'm really curious to hear your take on this. With these new types of interactions being enabled through technology, are there new research methods that we begin to employ or more frequently? That is a great question. Jenny, so, why don't you explain body storming for our listeners and then give you another second to think about your answer to. So what is body storming? Yes. Body storming is something that I learned in this class. <laughs> Field <laughs> methods, yeah. Yep. And it is a type of research where you role play what the interaction would be. So you think of a two-way interaction between a human and a system where someone plays the part of the system. So if we are 
planning an Alexa scenario, we would have one person talking to another person where person B is pretending to be Alexa, right? And responding to the conversation and, you know, talking robotically or <laughs> not knowing what the answer is right. and trying to error handle in real time. And what we would be gauging as researchers would be, okay, well, how does that person responding when Alexa just cuts them off and doesn't know what the answer <laughs> is? And do we need this to be a more conversational interface than the linear one? Woo, you listen to Body Storming in class. Okay. <laughs> I actually presented that session, so maybe yeah. that's why it really stuck with me. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. That was high stakes right there, because if you didn't get it right, Jenny, you know, you'd, you it was on tape, but that would also that's be like, on I'd you, be like, Professor Mina, like right? I Bentley Registrar, I need yeah. to have a conversation yeah. with you about I feel Jenny. like I'm failing, I'm failing the test right now. It's not just for my clients. Yeah. No. It's just right. No, no, not at all. So really good question. So in terms of interactions, what you're talking about, if we take that Alexa, for example, mm -hmm. if we're talking about the people questions, it's going to be about the behaviors. And what we want to do is understand people's realities. Mm. Mm -hmm. In those situations, we wouldn't have to worry about new methods per se, because what we're trying to do is study people's realities. How might they actually get chores done around their home? How might they clean? How might they actually manage their home if we had to take it at a higher level, mm -hmm. right? And what we do is we'd want to understand their realities. It's not about pointing them towards Alexa, just in case we're talking about Alexa as our you know, little right. mini case here. <laughs> it's not about pointing them toward Alexa. It could be, you know, hey, look at how they use Siri or how they naturally pick up Siri for finding a recipe. Or maybe they have Google Voice on. Maybe one of the kids in the kitchen always has a Chromebook and the kid's always excited about using it. Who knows what that is, but it's their reality that we're trying to capture. What type of situations do they actually ask for help like that? And what type of situations do they pick up a phone and talk to a human? Completely mm -hmm. different. And we'd want to study those realities so that we get a sense of what that is. Once we get that sense of reality and that sense of inspiration of, oh, this is all the different ways this person does this. And guess what? They actually human to human contact at some points in time and they self-service right. other points in time. If we were to sort of bubble it up to mm -hmm. a higher level behavior, we could take some of that inspiration and then say, hey, yeah, maybe we do body storm with Alexa because when we're talking about definition research or more like ideation, we can actually talk about all the different solutions we could be generating for. Mm. So maybe, yeah, maybe it's Alexa. Maybe it's a kid you put in there and say, just answer the question however, which way you want to. Yeah. Kids are zany. So maybe they'll come up with some, <laughs> you know, completely wacko answers. And you're just like, whoa, that's an amazing answer. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. you have to step out mm -hmm. of the norm, but to give yourself, who knows what those methods are going to be. But the key is you're still learning about people and their realities. And then you're applying that to whatever it is you're trying to ideate for. The other thing I'll add to that is if you even back it up a step and sometimes people want to innovate or disrupt, often that's when we do discovery research, sort of that bottom left of the quadrant. And in those situations, it's who you go after and who you're studying. Is it the representative yeah. or is it the extremes? Mm -hmm. The people who have exploited the system or the people who have shunned the system? So the people who have exploited it in an online collaboration sense could be people who have AI set up for everything, scheduling, bank deposits, like everything is AI driven, right? And then the people who have shunned the system still have their paper notebook and are writing everything because right. guess what? We don't believe in that. Right. We think mm -hmm. it's just a bunch of you know what. Yeah. So we're not going to use it. And very interesting how you can study those extremes and basically glean factors that you can use as inspiration and prompt you up for what you're doing. I actually believe the methods are going to become 
less important because it's going to be whatever makes the best sense to study people and their reality and then whatever makes the best sense in terms of ideating. Mm -hmm. It might be actually the same old stuff. It's just repurposed. And I really like that idea of that dimension of the different possible users, right? The, the early heavy adopters, mm -hmm. these lagging never adopters. It reminds me of my four-year-old taught me how to use the voice interface on my remote on my TV. And I said, how did you know to do this? And she'd learned it from her grandmother who knew she would never, ever find the show she was looking for through the navigation. Yeah. And so went straight to that because she said, this is, the, this is it. And now my wife is using it because it is easier and faster. Yeah. It wasn't even research, obviously, but informed us like, oh my gosh, look how easy it is for them. It's probably easier for us too. Yeah. And that's the kind of insight that can come from those types of edge populations, right? Innovation is going to be a funny thing. And what I took away from your story, which is really interesting, is sometimes some of these innovations, air quotes, are staring us right in the face. Yeah. And sometimes, honestly, they're so basic. It's, it's always funny. There was like a cartoon I saw a few weeks back about... Um, you know, people always losing their phone in the house, like their cordless phone. And this kid's like, hey, mom, I came up with this really good idea. I actually attached a wire to the, to, and, and basically put it up on the, right? And now you won't ever lose your phone. And she's like, uh, okay. But it's silliness, yeah, right? But at the same token, that's sometimes what innovation means to yeah. people. Like, why don't we actually have Google Maps take you to your destination and actually say where the Starbucks is on the way? <gasps> what a great idea. And you're just like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's sort of like why I use Google Maps. Right. So sometimes it's staring us right in the face. And the key is if we don't look, because technology will abound, but I think we actually have to still look at people because mm -hmm. people always want to break the system. We don't always want to yeah. conform. And we want to search for those kind of people who help inspire us to, okay, let's, you know, deconstruct this and reconstruct this completely. Yeah. It's like giving yeah. a set of blocks to a child. They never create the blocks the same way over and over again. Why? <laughs> we like doing things differently. You know, if you project five years out from now, what does the field methods class look like? Are you bringing in kids and other sort of unusual populations to uh, help us imagine different ways to use these methods? Is it new methods? Where do you see it going? I really hope that we would have already crossed the hump of having to state why research is important. I'm going to hope it. Yeah. I feel honestly, truthfully, in the next five years, I feel like this human story anchor is going to be pivotal because people are losing their market share by just focusing on technology. Mm. So even though, you know, with do no disrespect to all the chatbots and all the stuff that's out there, we still have to focus on the people. I somehow feel, spidey sense aside, <laughs> I feel like there is some belief that people are starting to recognize that. Just how much, I don't know. But I think that if it follows that trajectory, it's just really getting people to love talking to people. At the end of the day, that's what the course is all about, is be curious. Yeah. Like it's more about the meta level of what you come away with. And don't make assumptions. Talk to people, but don't suddenly come away with, well, <laughs> Jenny just said these two things, and whatever. It's not <laughs> that I want to sort of look at Jenny that way. I want to learn about Jenny. I want to know mm -hmm. what makes Jenny tick because I'm going to design for Jenny. Yeah. Rock on. She's awesome. She is awesome. So, <laughs> so it's really important for me to know that and be excited by that and not be blah. So the course is already including in. So we always include in real clients. And I yep. can't remember when you guys took it, whether you had a real client or not, but you yes. did, right? So, yep. so we always have real clients in. And I hope that people start to be able to get a chance to really actually do more of the interfacing with the client 
because that's the part that has to improve. And that's one thing I'm really working on Mm -hmm. because it's a course. Sometimes you're limited and actually recruit people and actually talk to real people instead of just family and friends. Because I always laugh, like we, I just had class on Thursday and a woman's like, I really know the people that I'm interviewing very well. (laughs) This is going to be a problem. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's true, but that's good. So you recognize that. Yeah. But it's also interesting how much you're going to learn about them that you didn't know. Yeah. If you do, you know, a serious job of it, air quotes again. That's, yeah, that's funny. Actually, it's a way to, in that class, at least get to ask questions of people that you would under no other circumstances have the chance to ask them, frankly. Exactly. You probably wouldn't (laughs) talk about it. Yeah. But my hopes for the class is that we continue along this trajectory and we really start to bring more focus to human behavior because that is, I think at the end of the day, that's so important to understanding this concept of experience. I think that's a really great point. I'm optimistic in the sense that in a period when Daniel Kahneman is a name that's on a lot of people's minds, there there is more of a realization that understanding human behavior from the standpoint of what people actually do rather than what they quote unquote should do yeah. or what we mm-hmm. think they're going to do is so much more important because we are constantly surprised yeah. by what they do and how they use new tools or technologies. And you have to watch and observe and sort of understand what they're doing rather than trying to assume and project forward and, and, you know, guess without doing the research. And I'm noticing this difference because when I started in this field (laughs) way back when, and we were looking at the population that was consuming, it was the population of people who were constantly apologetic for the fact that they weren't understanding something. Fast forward Mm -hmm. to 2017, those stereotypes no longer hold. Even when people go, oh, old people don't really adopt technology. I just dislike that because you know what? Old people, just your case about your um, grand, of the child's grandmother yeah. actually, they will figure things out and yeah. they're resourceful. And guess what? If you're resourceful by behavior, you're going to be resourceful, period. Yeah. And these are things that we want to notice the trend for. We want right. to notice, you know, why is Sam's mother or mother-in-law constantly doing this? Like, what is it about her that makes her click this way? Right. And that's what I'd want to study so that we get to the root of that person and that we can then really understand them anyway. Because the key is, is that we have to respect that their behavior is also different. Everybody's, every generation's behavior has always been slightly different. So at the end of the day, we have to respect that behavior and study the people. So it still starts with the people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I hope we don't lose sight of that. That's what makes us so fun is that we're human. <laughs> we're not robotic. Well, and I think, you know, back to a point you made earlier that it's what allows this study of humans to be a lifelong calling. Yeah. Right. Because you will constantly be learning new things, be surprised by insights in the process and go into it with, I think, that genuine sense of wonder at what will I learn in this conversation or in this observation or whatever the method is. It's always new and fresh because just by nature, humans will be doing things that you cannot anticipate or expect or forecast. And technology has definitely impacted that behavior. So not to say that technology has no role in this. If you look at a kid who's in elementary school now, so much more savvy with computers than... I definitely was for a long time. Right. No, yeah. I'm a bad example. But even somebody recent who might have just, you know, graduated high school like last year, that child now in elementary school is going to be so much more savvy. So there's definitely an affect of how technology is sort of, but then at one point in time, do we just revert to our natural behaviors? Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I think is so fun. It's this constant yeah. sort of balance between technology impacting behavior and our behavior impacting the technology yeah. that we, so mm-hmm. it's, that's sort of the fun to me, but that's going to be the fascinating part in the next five years too. 
Great. Thank you so much for joining us in studio. We really appreciate it. Uh, This was a lot of fun. Listeners, we've got some links in the podcast show notes to a couple of relevant Forrester reports. And thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you next week on CXCast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of CXCast. And remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality. (laughs) 